Matt, you ready for this episode? We're going in. It's going to be exciting. That's what she said. Oh, it's going to be. Yeah, I see what you did there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Listen, you crack yourself up. This is the emotional maturity I bring to this conversation. Mm-hmm. Go on. I feel like I'm doing a little Beavis and Butthead episode now. I'm not sure which one I am, but I know which one you are. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Episode 35, Sex is Autistic. Welcome to the Autistic Culture Podcast. Each episode, we dive deep into autistic contributions to society and culture by introducing you to some of the world's most famous and successful autistics in history. Before we get started, a quick disclaimer on how we use the word autistic. The purpose of this show is not to diagnose the people or characters we discuss as autistic. While some may have announced being autistic, what we're really sharing here is our observation of what is representative of autistic culture. It can sometimes be difficult for autistic people to celebrate our natural tendencies and traits due to the perception of autism as a disorder that needs to be fixed, a long history of damaging medical interventions to get autistics to fit in with mainstream culture, and protective masking skills many of us have developed to try to stay safe. Whether you are autistic or just love someone who is, your hosts, Dr. Angela Loria, the linguistic autistic. And licensed psychological practitioner, Matt Lowry, welcome you to take this time to be fully immersed in the language, values, traditions, norms, and identity of Autistica. Okay. We are going to talk a lot about sex today. So um, if you are listening with kids in the car, maybe this isn't the best episode. So listener beware. Um, But I want to start us off with something less controversial, which is the biography of the man who inspired this episode. Uh, His name is Alfred Kinsey. I remember learning about Kinsey in school. Do you know who Kinsey is? Have you heard of Kinsey? How much do you know about this? What do you bring to the table? Kinsey is a very famous researcher who, at a time when all things sex were taboo, decided to research human sexuality and uh, talk about, you know, stuff that other people were afraid to talk about, including like sex and homosexuality and masturbation and all sorts of neat stuff. Crazy talk. Crazy talk. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And he actually, so he was born in um, 1894. 1894. Wow, that was a very long time ago. Doesn't that sound old? Yeah, it sounds old. Um, But like when you think of Kinsey to me, I didn't realize he died in 56. Like he... Wow. He... It's... This is from a long time ago. I felt sort of contemporaneous. Like I thought he was alive when I was alive. I'm like, he was long dead before I was born. And when I was born, it it, was... His work was still controversial. Like crazy talk controversial. So... He technically, what they call his generation is the last Victorian generation. So this was like the era of you definitely did not talk about sex and purity. And um, it was very, still very religious. Not that it isn't now, but in different ways. And so he... um, 
he the name Kinsey, what's really interesting about his name is the Kinsey family was a very famous American Pennsylvania Quaker family that was not his family, but he traded on that name. So it would be like if your last name was Jefferson and you're like, oh, yeah, yes, I know the Jeffersons of Virginia. But he went to all these super elite schools. He went to Harvard like he was an academic, but his family was super working class, super Victorian, like he was not bougie at all. And he just sort of traded on this name to get in. He was actually fairly well liked at school. Not exactly well-liked, but just very unknown. So he kept to himself. He did a lot of his own, like, research alone in his room. He did a lot of data collection, and he just kind of didn't bother people. So maybe good masking skills or however that worked out. But he did really well in school, got really good grades, kept to himself, most people said they didn't really remember him, seemed nice enough. What he was known for was being a dapper dresser. So he was very into fashion, which is cool. Um, and he was also into bugs. Bugs! Oh, Buggies. Satoshi Tajiri would uh, really like him. I thought you might reference our Pokemon episode. So what he decided to do was collect all the bugs and find out everything about them and write it down because... This is the way. This is the way. And he was so good at, like, collecting these bugs. He got into great schools and was, like, super successful. And he was actually called the second Darwin. Ooh, wow. Um, And we actually suspect Darwin was autistic, too. Oh, yeah. Autistic culture loves massive data collection projects, and Darwin was into that shit. Oh, yeah. So this is really a story of data collection. Like, that is at the heart of this, the the autistic culture trait that Kinsey represented as, as well, if not better, as many of the people we featured here is data collection. However, um, he... He... This asshole named Michael Fitzgerald was the one who, I'll say posthumously, diagnosed Kinsey as Asperger's in September of 1999. I am calling this guy an asshole, but I'm going to make you read his words because I want to make you sound like an asshole. <laughs> this, is what, this is what Michael Fitzgerald said in his analysis of Kinsey. <clears throat> Alfred Kinsey meets the criteria for DSM-4 Asperger disorder. Oh boy, yeah, that's that's fine. He showed a qualitative impairment in social interaction with a failure to develop appropriate, God, I hate that, peer relationships and a lack of social and emotional reciprocity. Jones described him as, quote, a loner who never played ball with his classmates was bullied, did not take part in team sports, and, quote, just wasn't one of the guys. God forbid. His biographer, James Jones, pointed out that during his adolescence, quote, he did not make a single close friend, at least not in the sense of having a best friend. And in addition, he did not form a single friendship that extended into adulthood. Quote, while most people found him, quote, 
cool and aloof. Wow, that is super pathologizing. Right. Diagnose. Check. Asperger's. God, yeah. I I hate that that's how the holistic yeah, like, see us. No mention. I feel like we need to spend a little time on your like revised diagnostic criteria. No mention of his special interest. Right. No mention of years and years of data collection of bugs. That's not how you're going to diagnose him. You're going to diagnose him because he's cool and aloof and doesn't hang out with anybody from high school where he didn't like got along fine, but just like didn't make super close friends. What what were what would be some of the things you might be looking for in a diagnosis other than cool and aloof? No, no, number one, I'm just horrified that if you don't go to your high school reunion, all of a sudden you're a social problem. That's that's right. horrifying. I I if you peaked in high school, that's an issue. But but yeah, uh, so uh, we would talk about stimming. Uh, we would talk about his special interests, monotropic focus, data collection, his uh, his areas of study, his interoceptive stuff, his uh, proprioceptive stuff, his uh, his relationships being based on a a positive way. Because again, we do we socialize. We just like to socialize and talk about our special interests. So I guarantee you, he had bug friends that he got together and talked about bugs with. I guarantee yeah, you that he I'm had, sure he did. I guarantee you that he had friends that he talked about sex stuff with and they were very, very open about it that probably horrified everybody around them. I guarantee oh, the you... The sex stuff did happen later but he did make lots of those friends. Of course. That's for sure. Yeah, and, and that's the thing because when when outsiders look at our culture from an outside perspective and they say, well, clearly they're not as good as us because my way is the best way and he does not do things the way that I do them. And that is just horrifying. I That is so backward and pathologizing because that that is, again, this is a very colonialist mindset of saying that everyone is bad but me. Yeah. And right. I hate that. Matt has a you. Oh, yes. I'm talking about you. Me, Matt. But I know I'm breaking the fourth wall and talking to our listeners. Matt has a very cool chart I'm going to link to in the show notes, um, which is the strengths-based diagnostic criteria he uses when diagnosing his. And I think, have other people adopted this? Oh, actually. I see it around the internet. Yeah, I, I've actually, in the past week, I've gotten two people that uh, asked my permission to put it in their presentations. And and uh, uh, it's shown up on TikTok and on YouTube and stuff. I'm working on a new one that is more comprehensive, but I, I don't want it to be too wordy and take away from the graphic. But uh, when it is published, it'll be on my website. So uh, feel free to check it out and feel free to use it. Just please, uh, there was one person who decided to use it and then cut off my name. Please don't do that. Uh, feel free to use it. Just uh, keep my name on there and say, hey, this dude has a really good view of this. Why don't you try it? Yeah, I think it's fabulous and I'm going to link to it, but you can also check out the full blog at Matt Lowry LPP if you want to learn more about this. When we look at, you know, people, especially posthumously diagnosing people, often it is with Asperger's and this was 1999, so I don't certainly blame him for using that term, but they are looking at this very pathologized criteria that is that was in the DSM-4, which is now in, what are we up to? The DSM-6, 7? Uh, five, 5TR. Hate that. But anyway, yeah. um, that is uh, what the Autistic Culture podcast is all about, really, is saying this pathological, pathological diagnostic criteria often comes from symptoms of not celebrating autistic culture. 
And so they're they're looking at, well, he was cool and aloof. Yeah, because he had to get home to his bug collection, people. Things to do. He didn't want to be kept after school playing football. Like that's you would miss prime bug collection hour. Exactly. Exactly. We we have a a number of really great things about us. But uh, again, the holistics only uh, have an autism diagnosis. One of the things about the DSM-5 text revision diagnosis of autism is that it says that it's only diagnosed if it causes an impairment for other people. Because again, (laughs) yeah, yeah, it's based on how much it bothers the holistics. Right. That's insane. That's a dumb way. Well, listen, we're going to get to this, but Kinsey bothered the holistics. Of course he did. A lot. There was a lot of bothering. And although I'm not going to spend too much time on the bugs, he does end up getting a PhD in entomology and he goes on to study bugs. And he is so fucking pissed at the um, the genealogists who uh, are, his job is to collect and categorize bugs. And so this is a job many people have had before him. And he looks at their categories and like there are some obvious things like a butterfly is not a dragonfly, even though they both have wings and the word fly in the name. And he's like, let's have some very specific categories and let's, you know, sort things carefully. And his fellow taxonomists were just like annoyed. They're like, yeah, but these taxonomies work. And he's like, yeah, no, they actually don't. Let me give you the data. He's got this rigorous methodology, high intellectual standards, and he wants to be like the experimental biologist. He's like, we're tax taxonomy matters, you guys. We're not just like random data entry clerks. So a lot of what he published was this wild critique of the careless taxonomy perpetrated by investors. Um, And he said, I love this quote. He's like, they, the taxonomists show a charming lack of knowledge of faunal areas and possible factors of distribution. So he focuses in on the gall wasp. I will tell you, I did not Google it because I did not want to know what a gall wasp is. I guess it's different than the other wasps. And he decides he is going to ferret out and analyze every single knowable fact about a gall wasp to create this criteria that other taxonomists could use because he's just assuming, hey, if you're a taxonomist, you'll want to pick your own, I don't know, carpenter bee, and you could use this format. He's got this burning need to be the best at taxonomy and they could not they 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 could not stand him his whole theory i want you to hear how uh crazy this is he's like in order to do good classification we must base it on all available data bottom up processing yes Take the data and I, then make labels. I think that that's, uh, yeah. Like, is there another option? Yeah. The other people wanted to use some of the available data? I, I, like, we, we really only need, you know, one data. We don't need all, but that, 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 that's why we have such poor diagnostic criteria for autism as it currently is, because while, yes, uh, 
their criteria are accurate, but it's only some of the data. It doesn't represent but all of the why data. Dig in? Why dig in when we have some? Yeah, it's Butterflies have wings. Dragonflies have wings. Let's call them the same. We have enough data. I see wings. Yeah, yeah. So he's like, these guys are driving him nuts, but generally loves his job, loves his data collection, like get, mostly gets to do what he wants, hates the pr- uh, the principal. It's not called the principal, the president uh. of uh, IU. Hates the president. President's like super Victorian. President doesn't have a problem with his taxonomy, but he just thinks the guy is an asshole. So he has a friend who is up for the president job. He helps his friend get the president job. And he, so now he's super excited. He's going to stay at the school. And the president has this crazy idea, which is a thing that they're talking about now, um, which is to prepare our students come out of college and they get married and they don't know anything about marriage. So we're going to do a marriage prep class. And Kinsey's friends with this guy. This is like one of his platforms that he runs for president on. This is going to make our school special. He says to Kinsey, uh, like, this is what I'm thinking. Like, do you know these people don't even really know what like a penis and a vagina is? That is is very ill-prepared. They're ill-prepared. So he's like, can you teach this class as a scientist, like biologist, like you know about all the bug organs. Can you present this in a way that's not like sexy time, but it's also not church time. And this is, we're in the late twenties now. This is not being done. This is not being done. Like people don't know about biology. Like they don't know. So Kinsey's not doing sexy time with Kinsey. He's doing science class. It's the sex ed class we now get in sixth grade. To be honest, I'm surprised that anyone was born prior to 1920 because, you know, yeah. Yeah. Insert insert slot A into slot B, I think is how that goes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so this is how he takes his scientific background. It's like just kind of a coincidence. He's friends with this guy. This guy's trying to make his mark. So Kinsey had nothing to do with sex, didn't plan a career in sex, but he does have a couple things from his childhood that we know obviously the bug collection and being in science, but there was some weird babysitter shit. I'm not going to get too into it. So no trigger alert here, but babysitter shit, insert your own story, which kind of made him feel a lot of guilt around sex. And so then when he was looking at bug sex, which definitely did not make him feel guilt, um, he he was like, oh, maybe this isn't, maybe this is just like part of the animal kingdom. Maybe this isn't so weird. So this is a quote from his biography um, that is about his kind of feelings around sex growing up because he had a lot of weirdness and just tried to avoid it and didn't really date after the whole babysitter experience. 
As the last generation of Victorians, many middle-class Americans of this day felt anxious about sex. While Kinsey carried parental demands for moral perfection to extremes, Victorian culture required rigid self-control. Kinsey took these demands seriously and could not satisfy them. His childhood was an object lesson in what could happen to an earnest boy who strove for moral perfection. Because again, we don't do anything halfway. Right. I mean, he was just trying to follow the rules. Victorians had a lot of rules. He wrote them down. He's like, I'm going to do this. But then what did that babysitter do? Because that's not the rules. But I know I'm not supposed to talk about it. So now I just feel guilty and weird. And I don't like living with these contradictions. Because he somehow broke the rules. Yeah. Yeah, so, that's some internalization there. Yeah. Didn't. Yeah. So he starts teaching this class in the 20s, and there are other babysitter stories. The kids are coming up to him after class, and they're like, well, what about this? I kissed a girl, and I liked it. Like, what about this thing? What about this? And he's, at the beginning, I think it was like the first study was maybe 200 people. Like, at the beginning, he's like, well, let me ask people about this shit. This is, I'm kind of interested, like, because I've had all this guilt and shame about my sexual history. And like, I've thought about, I don't know, maybe kissing a boy or some shit. Like, I don't, I don't know. Let me like collect a little data. And it was sort of an innocent, he wasn't trying to leave the bug world. He just loved collection and he had collected bugs. And then I'm going to give you another quote. We have data hunger. We love data. Yeah. And so suddenly he was like, oh, I have this interesting information. Maybe I'll collect more data. So we know he was a collector. Here's another thing he collected. And this is uh, also from his biography. Most of us like to collect things. And some of us have quite a dose of that instinct. Some folks collect stamps, others collect cigar bands or autographs, a pocket full of junk. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, sorry, uh, they junk again. <laughs> I think he was trying to be nice. He's like, Every, everyone collects things. Some people just collect a pocket full of junk. Or, or dollars and dollars. Whatever their value or lack of money value, all collections are very real possession to their owners. If your collection is larger, even a shade larger than any other like it in the world, that greatly increases your happiness. It shows how complete a work you can accomplish in what good order you can arrange the specimens with what surpassing wisdom you can exhibit them with what authority you can speak on your subject to have your own museum in your home where you can curate your museum and talk about your museum and show it off to people and say, yes, I have all of these things. Look at my collection. That is the way. Literally just on this quote, if you were going to like, and I know we can't diagnose him, but rather than talking about how he didn't have friends from high school that he kept into adulthood, how many markers of autistic culture are just in this quote oh my that God, are I, delightful? I love it so much because that's the thing. He, he talks about the love of data acquisition. He talks about the love of displaying and organizing and lining things up to perfection <laughs> as I line up my lightsaber crystals in front of me as we talk. This is the way of our people. It's so fantastic. It's so, so much better. I love it. It's so good. Michael Fitzpatrick should have read that quote and tried hard harder but very I, everything about this quote I love but my favorite thing is like 
Um, I, most of us like to collect things. I don't think it's actually true. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. All, like, all actually humans love collecting. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you guys love collecting, don't you? Like, you have a pocket full of junk. Yeah, yeah. Right? You line that up and then, right? Right, you I, do. I, I, right? I love it. That's and that's the, and and again, you know, as we get older, we have a self-selected bias of people around us. We we make friends with people who also have collections. And, oh, I accidentally unplugged my headphones. Yeah. Oh, sorry about that. That's Hold okay. On Keep second. talking. But we do. We make friends with. Yeah. Uh, Make but, friends with people who have collections. Yeah, we 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 we, ha- we make friends with people who have collections. We love showing off our collections to our friends. We go over to each other's houses and say, "My, that is a fine collection." Yes, I just had this. You know, oh, tell me about it. Info dump about that new thing that you just got. It's magnificent. I love it. And what I really, you can see his bias here when he says, if your collection is larger, even a shade larger, that increases your happiness. Yeah. yeah. Again, I do not think this is true of neurotypicals. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. So a neurotypical collection would be, I have more than you. It It pushes me over you instead of just, I've got all of them. It makes me very happy. It's an intrinsic thing. Right. It's our intrinsic motivation that's what makes us who we are it's beautiful it's not about anything for the outside world i mean granted it is great if you can share an info dump about it but just to have an awesome collection to look at and enjoy you can arrange the specimens yes oh god i love it and from different arrangements you can get wisdom by the way you arrange them. Like if we put them in a different order, we might notice different things. And your wisdom grows based on how you exhibit them. It's like a physical Excel spreadsheet where you switch around the columns. Uh, It's fantastic. I will line them up by size. I will line them up by color. I will line them up by number of wheels. This this is the way of our people. It's wonderful. That's that's the best quote. It's, it is my favorite quote in autistic culture. Like I was like, you nailed all of it, my guy. When autistic people find a special interest, they go deep and have a lot of knowledge, even if they don't have that formal education background to go with it. If you want to capture your spin in a book, check out Angela's work at differencepress.com, differencepress.com. And find out more about becoming an author and establishing your credibility with a book. So he starts talking to these people and he's like, hey, nobody's been teaching this basically sex ed class. They called it marriage class, but nobody's been teaching this. These people do not know things. Let me categorize what people do know. Let me categorize what experiences people have had. Let me categorize what interests people have. Let me write down every single thing and then people will give me flowers. I will do data collection. I will have more information. Now, remember, he says, the more data you collect, the more authority you can speak on your subject. And he's like, a lot of people have been studying bugs for a long time. People have not been studying sex. I could have the biggest collection of sex-related interviews ever in history. No one's going to argue with me because it will be data. You can't argue... 10 people had an experience with a babysitter. How do I know? They told me like you, 
Because uh, again, the the assumption that holistics uh, prefer data instead of you know, uh, yeah. I, right. I have a feeling that I know where this is going, but go on. It's not great. It's not great. So he puts out this book uh, after twenty years wow. of data collection. So from nineteen twenty-eight to nineteen forty-four, eighteen thousand interviews, wow. and he puts out book one of two, and it's called "Sexual Behavior in the Human Male." Very it clinical. I love it. A boring, it looks like, you know, entomology. Yeah. They hear uh, all the things, right? And Time Magazine puts him on the cover calling him a communist. All are, are of they his financial patrons, <laughs> right. All of his financial patrons pull out. He's built this whole institute. They're threatening to shut it down. His friend who runs the university is like, gonna have to fire you. He then gets real mad. Yeah. And they're like, this guy's a fucking asshole. Of like, course. maybe he's having an autistic meltdown because you people are making him crazy. Yeah. You're calling him a communist. And because again, not accurate. <laughs> it, it, it does not add up. It does not add up. It does not add up. He really believed that facts and truth and science could change the world. And the repression and the hypocrisy that he felt and the guilt that he felt, he was like, listen, if people knew this, they could have happier marriages. Yeah. They could be like, hey, honey, I really like having sex outside. And she could be like, ah, all right, let's try it. You want to go camping this weekend? Yeah. And he's like, that'll make the world a better place. Better living through data. Right. 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 Nope. Big no. Oh, that's Big unfortunate. No. So he had convinced himself with his data. He now did not have that same sense of like guilt and shame. He was more convinced than ever because he had the data there. However, there was a huge publishing controversy. It took about five more years until human sexuality and female in the female species, whatever the name of that book is, when that came out. And oh, that was much worse than the dudes. Like dudes were like, hey, I jerk off. And people were like, whoa, you're a communist. The <laughs> ladies were like, I like sex. <laughs> and people were like, well, this is insanity. What is happening? <laughs> Women cannot have sex. There are things that you have sex at. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh my God. Things did not get better. I'm going to jump to the end of this story. He basically dies. That's sad. Literally, dude dies. It's very fucking sad. He goes into an autistic burnout, obviously not called that. Um, he is canceled. He gets pneumonia, which again, stress brings down your you know immune system, blah, blah, blah. Ends up in the hospital. He is honestly probably cold and aloof. Like he's probably being an asshole because... Well, if you live in a world where people call you a communist because you record data about sex, again, not how communism works. Otherwise, Russia would be a much cooler place. <laughs> this, this, Maybe you should go to Estonia. I've heard they've got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, but that, that, that's the thing. Living in a world that is infuriating because people choose ignorance that will kill you. That, that'll push you away from people. That's, yeah. that's why we live alone in our castles because the world is a very, very frustrating, sad, and willfully ignorant place. 
Yeah. So 20 years of this data collection, basically in an ivory tower. Yeah. Super happy, by the way, having lots of sex, Um, but like super happy having a good time collecting data. It comes out. He becomes super famous. He becomes enemy number one. You know, they're ready to attack. And three years later, he dies. That's sad. Of pneumonia, but I think of like autistic heartbreak. Yeah. Basically, which I totally get. In the meantime, however, he does change the world. I really believed this came out in the 80s. I remember learning about this in high school and putting myself, I'm going to teach you about the Kinsey scale. You might know about it, but I thought it just happened. Like I thought it was like breaking news. I was very excited. I'm like, oh, there's a new scale and I'm on it right in the middle. Um, But this actually came out, it was just like buried and then he was dead and all the things. So this is the Kinsey scale. It's also called the heterosexual to homosexual rating scale. And he had people, and this was really interesting. He didn't say like, are you gay? Instead, the rating was based on their experiences. So all 18,000 of these people, he talked about every single sexual experience. That's a lot of people. And then you would get, uh, you would get a range. And there originally, I want to say it was like 30. I think he originally had like 30 something categorizations. Wow. And 36 categorizations. God, that's some thorough data collection. I love it to death. I don't even know how you could do it. 30 categories that represented 30 different of the most common scenarios. I can't even imagine. Like, so this is basically like saying if uh, zero is exclusively homosexual, six is exclusively heterosexual, this would be zero to 30, 30 shades of gray. Now, if you are familiar with how people talk about their sexuality, like asexual, demisexual, I bet if we counted up all those pansexual, asexual, demisexual, oh, first person to say fit pansexual, by the way. Oh, really? Alfred Kinsey. Oh, that's that's nice. Right? So all those words, I bet there's 30 of them. He categorized them, folks, in 1950. Wow. So we're just catching up. So when people are like, all these newfangled terms, yeah, newfangled from 75 years ago, just for those of you taking notes. And remember with his taxonomy with the gall wasps, he was like, hey, we need lots and lots of categories. There's like, you could be asexual, non-romantic. You could be asexual and romantic. You could be demisexual. Like there are all these different things. Let's call them all these things. And people were like, dude, it's a lot. As if people were multifaceted human beings. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, instead of caricatures, because again, uh, allistics love simplicity. Yeah, yeah, we like two categories, even if there's a ton of fucking evidence, there are not two categories. Yeah. So much evidence, so much evidence, so much evidence, but no. Men and women, biologically women. I I actually heard recently, probably not recently when you're listening to this, but in Florida, they have banned the use of pronouns. So I get, I don't know what we call, like, I get, we'll just call everyone it. I don't, no pronouns are allowed. None. Ron loves ice cream. Ron wants more ice cream. Ron goes to score (laughs) with Jerry to get ice cream. See spot run. Yeah. Spot does run. God. Spot is running. And again, that's like with the red scare. It's so much random 
misattribution of things based on complete misunderstanding. And, uh, but yeah. that is what they like for those of us who believe that there are many acceptable pronouns or many exceptional, acceptable sexual expressions of gender and of sexual orientation, they call us socialists. So is that different than calling him a communist? I'm, I'm just fascinated they haven't gotten new material in 70 years. <laughs> it's true. Like, They're not doing enough data yeah, collection. Try harder, assholes. You had some time. We're not impressed. <laughs> we're really not impressed. Uh, we're going to try and not die, though, unlike Kinsey, because he yeah. was like, you people are going to drive me to my grave because this is insanity. Yeah. So... He has 30 categories. His team of researchers are like, we love you. No one's going for 30. And he is convinced to knock it down, not to six, but to seven. There is a very big debate. And he says there must be, the scale can be zero to six, but we must have a category X for people with no socio-sexual contacts or reactions, which we now just call asexual. Yeah, I, I think that that's an important thing. So the other thing is, he's like, you guys have to understand sexuality and gender expression and also sexual orientation, it is fluid and it changes over time or what we in autistic culture might say, this shit's a spectrum. Ooh. It's not a line. I like that. That's a novel idea. Yeah. And of course, it's like not even like, yes, of course, that makes perfect sense. There will be times you are like right now I am exclusively heterosexual because I am in a monogamous marriage with a man. But that'll do it. Certainly there have been times where I have not been that. And so when I learned this rating, I thought this was like, well, where are you? But I love the idea that like when I look at the autistic spectrum, the, the actual spectrum-y looking spectrum, not the line, um, but the graph. I don't know what it's called. Um, but they, there are days I have selective mutism and I have a lot more support needs. There are days where, you know, I am riffing. Actually, it's not even days. It's like hours. We'll yeah. make a bunch of podcasts and I am very verbose. And then there's about four hours of no talkie time for Angela. Yeah. And that's the thing that people don't understand, especially when they do the whole high functioning, low functioning, because they don't understand how much stress changes us. We we go from level one to level three to level two to level one. And it, that's just the way we are. Yeah. So Kinsey says the living world is a continuum in each and every one of its aspects while emphasizing the continuity of the gradations between exclusively heterosexual and exclusively homosexual histories, it has seemed desirable to develop some sort of classification which could be based on the relative amounts of homosexual and heterosexual experience or in response to each individual history. An individual may be assigned a position on the scale, but it is only for a period of his life. Yeah. says his, but we'll say there. A seven-point scale comes nearer to showing the many gradations that exist. He, first of all, was doing bottom-up processing here, which we've talked about. Second of all, has a monotropic focus, which we've talked about. Data collection. And this is for a Victorian, the last of the Victorian era. This is some out-of-the-box thinking. Yeah, that is huge. I love it. 
So uh, Kinsey said, the living world is a continuum in each and every one of its aspects. The sooner we learn this concerning human sexual behavior, the sooner we shall reach a sound understanding of the realities of sex. Better living through data. Yeah. That was my guy. He was so hopeful that people wouldn't be ignorant. That's... <laughs> I know. I get the hopefulness. There's like a autistic naivety. Where yeah, like, yeah, I will yeah. just tell them and then they will be happy. Just incredibly smart, but uh, completely underestimating how bunch of a douchebag humans can be. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, his work has been continued. So I want to give you some updates on some new stuff that has been done. And I think it's very um, autistic people lead the way on a lot of this stuff. So there was an autistic researcher, Christiane Rudolph, who explored the relationship between autism and sexual orientation in the major, um, it was a 30,000 person study in Stockholm. So it's the Stockholm Public Health co- Cohort data set. Neat. So she pulled this data that we have. It's the longest longitudinal public health study. Um, everybody's 18 and older, and it is self-reported. So you can talk about that. But some of the self-reported questions are around autism. Mm-hmm. So people who self-report they may have been professionally diagnosed or self-diagnosed, but who self-report that they are autistic. She looked at their sexual orientation compared to people who did not identify as autistic. Mm-hmm. And here's the deal. Those people who had who were autistic were most likely to reject traditional straight, or gay, like traditional zero or six on the Kinsey scale, and most likely to see their sexuality on a spectrum um, that changed over time and with their needs, and they rejected sexual categories, either endorsing no label or asexualism or pansexualism. They did not like the typical categories. Is that where the audit gender comes in? Or uh, uh, yeah. I I think that is where all that stuff comes from. So it and it was the findings were significant. So 69.7% of people with autism identified as not heterosexual. Wow. That's that, huge. That's a Two-thirds. huge number. That's a huge number. And in the non-autistic or the holistic group, 30.3% uh, reported being non-heterosexual. And again, non-heterosexual just means like anything, all the other things. Um, so bisexual, all the things. So 30% of the regular population, but 70% of our population identifies as queer, not sexual, non-conforming. Yeah, uh, so I can see so, that, yeah. Yeah. And and Kinsey was in that group. He was A, autistic, and B, gender fluid, sexually fluid, all the things. Yeah. Uh, which is also why he's a communist. So fire oh, beware. Yes. Um, that's how you can identify communism. If you have sex with people of the same gender or just enjoy kissing them, you might be a communist or a log cabin Republican 
oh, that's just internalized hate. Remember now. Uh, anyway, uh, spectrumy spectrum things uh, extend to transgender. There mm-hmm. is a uh, Laura DeTaro, another autistic author who in 2018 did a survey in Australia that found 22% of transgender adolescents and young adults under the age of 25 were diagnosed with autism. So this is not self-diagnosed. This is professionally diagnosed 22.5% of transgender adolescents. 2.5% of all Australians have been professionally diagnosed. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the thing. That's I mean, huge. there's that statistic that says that, you know, trans people are three times more likely to be autistic than uh, allistic. But th- that's another thing, because again, with our bottom-up processing and our lack of uh, adherence to, you know, tradition, uh, we're more likely to say, yeah, I'm me, deal with it. Whereas, you know, allistic people might be trans and just stay in the closet and never, ever, ever kill anybody. Right, 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 right. So who knows? Who knows? What Kinsey for sure believed was if we got more people data, that they would realize, oh, I'm like those people. And I actually encourage you to read some of his research because you will find yourself in there. 18,000 people is a lot of people. And he's like, we're all, we got weird kinks. We got all, we got all interests. They changed, we like kissed various people at various ages. We've got trauma that in that informs us. We have secrets that we think are huge that, by the way, are the same secrets that millions of other people have. And when you understand that, that it's just part of data collection, like looking at gall wasps, then you're like, oh, I'm just human, it turns out. This is what the species does. There's not a lot of drama. We don't have to outlaw activities. And now I'm going to add the final dose of autistic culture. This led Kinsey in his later years to becoming a volunteer at the prison near him. And he found that a lot of why prisoners were in jail were because of these sexual deviances. He was like really upset one one guy was in jail, I think, because his like wife gave him oral sex and he was in jail and he was like super blaming himself. And Kinsey was like, dude, that is not weird. That is a thing people do. It is not a crime. It, of course, was a crime at the time that people were getting incarcerated for. And Kinsey worked really hard on prison reforms for people in jail because they were gay, which he was like, this is stupid. Yeah. It's almost everyone in jail because their wife gave him head. He's like, this is ridiculous. And by the way, you got head too. Can we please stop it? And he would provide his data and be a, you know, provide evidence basically to try and get people out of jail and fought really hard um, in his final years, in his work in prisons as a volunteer. It's always astonishing to me how there is this remarkable double standard about sex. Because number one, it's fun. Number two, it's <laughs> it's uh, required to maintain the population of all creatures. 
so why do we treat it as some sort of bizarre taboo? I just, uh, the, the Puritan mindset just, it fascinates and horrifies me because this is the, this sort of result, uh, the, 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 the condemnation of people and the, the lack of data, the lack of understanding and the, the, it just, it hurts. Yeah. Yeah. He also worked for racial justice. So oh, good, he of course. took 800 prison histories um, 300 of those people were Black Americans. And what he found was the sex offenders' histories often had sexual abuse and trauma at a young age. Yeah. And that was informing it. So he uh, he did volunteer work also at the women's prisons. And... Um, and he fought really hard for racial justice in those prisons because he found that sexual abuse and trauma within families was leading to these crimes. Um, and he actually attended um, uh, several like executions of people who he believed were unlawfully uh, killed by the state because of sexual deviance that was really normal variations in the human species. That's and tragic. He said if uh, if all the sex laws were repealed, that um, that uh, if all the sex laws were repealed, society would probably find adequate protection in the assault and battery laws. Apart from society's interest in protecting a person as the assault and battery laws aim to protect them, our sex laws attempt to go a good deal further and attempt to protect our customs. Yeah. And he was like, they are not, they have nothing to do with the actual crimes. He wasn't like pro assault or anything, yeah. but he said there are laws about mouth genital contact, anal contact, homosexual activities, group activities, relationships of individuals of diverse age and animal intercourse. And he said, those were all based on English American common law traditions, which were a direct continuation of the Talmudic Pro, uh, proscriptions on such activities, such uh, not the product of scientific judgments. There's only and, one proper place to put your genitals, and that's not it. And that's not it, exactly. So, and he said there was no way to enforce any of this stuff except capriciously. Basically, anybody you didn't like, you could just say, well, you fucked a girl that was too young. You're like, you did this thing, and we're sending you to jail. That's horrifying. Yeah. So he very interestingly represents, I think, some of the best parts of autistic culture. But also what I wanted to spend a little time on is how the pathologization of autistic culture traits can lead to burnout, self-harm, physical problems that come not because of autism, but because of the way autistic people are marginalized. Well, that's the thing. I mean, when you live your life and you say, clearly I've done the research, clearly I've done the data, clearly I've done this. And uh, someone says, yeah, but uh, I don't believe it. 
uh, and uh, you're very much wrong for doing that. And it, it, it's you're a communist. It's a, yeah. And, and again, I'm mad more for. Uh, I mean, it's it's bad to accuse people of you know things, regardless. But but again, to just use any random thing as as a slur, it, it's it. The, the inaccuracy bothers me on that. But again, yeah, I'm right? It's like, we're going to get stuck on the inaccuracy. Call me bad at data collection. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a communist for several other reasons, but this, <laughs> I'm just horny. That's right. Yeah. So, but like, that's the thing. If you said to Kinsey, I, I firmly believe this is, and I know this is true for me with my special interests. If you said to Kinsey, hey, there's some flaws in your data collection here. Yeah. I think this data set is biased. I think 18,000 is not enough. You to get good data, you need to do 180,000. I feel like he would have been like, bring on the attack. I'm going to tell you why I did 18,000. Here's how I came up with this. Like, I'm like, bring it. Yeah. Bring it. Yeah. But then if you're going to call me a communist, now I want to bring out the definition of communist and argue with you about like, it's like you just called me a gardener or something. That's not related to the topic. You sir are made of drywall. What does that even mean? Right. And now we're, and now we're not talking about the things I care about, which what he really cared about was making the world a better place. Having fewer people needlessly in jail, having fewer kids without their parents, having fewer people feeling the guilt and shame that he felt by going through child sexual abuse, having more people just like, I don't know, having fun with your lady friend. Yeah. Like, how about that? Like that's, we're human. Let's do that. We love sharing stories of autistic culture. And if you are seeing yourself in any of these stories and you're wondering if maybe you're one of us or maybe you're already diagnosed or self-diagnosed and you want to know if Matt can help you live your life better and be more authentically autistic, check out his website at mattlowerylpp.com. That's Matt, M-A-T-T, Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y. And then that LPP, it stands for Licensed Psychological Practitioner. So head on over to mattlowrylpp.com and learn more about working with my buddy, Matt. And that's a big thing because there's so much sexual trauma, especially for autistic people, because they've done studies and 92% of autistic women are sexually assaulted before the age of 18. Nine, and this, this keep in mind, is just the diagnosed autistic women. Uh, doesn't have uh, the, the self-diagnosed people. But I can't find any statistics for boys like Kinsey. Mm-hmm. Because again, mm-hmm. that's something it's taboo to talk about because mm-hmm. men aren't allowed to be sexually assaulted. And if you do, it's your problem for not being a man enough. And that's mm-hmm. horrifying. We, our, our society is ridiculously backwards in all this. And you can see that with all the current bizarre anti-trans legislation and their weird beliefs that the transes will transform us because this autistic people don't understand the sex. I don't right. get that. Why, wh- who are these people and why do they have such bad views? It doesn't. The, and the, the thing is that we want to argue with logic. Like I've watched so many TikToks of (laughs) biologists explaining biology or intersex people explaining what it is like to be intersex. 
obviously that doesn't matter. We can no. make 18,000 TikToks a day. Yeah. And it would not matter. No one's looking for evidence. No, no, because again, uh, they're top-down processing. They don't like it, so they say God also doesn't like it. Uh, they don't like it, so they want to inspect the genitalia of teenage girls on sports teams. That Again, that seems a little creepy to me. So it, they don't like it, so they make up all sorts of bizarre reasons, call people communists and socialists. They don't have valid arguments against anything, but again, because they outnumber us, they have the political power. Right. I mean, this is why I fight so hard to view autism through an autistic culture lens yeah. and why I think we need to look at the strengths-based neurodiversity for everyone, because I think this helps neurotypical people that are being falsely imprisoned or wrongfully imprisoned or being attacked violently or watching their family members go through being attacked as transgender people who just want to go to the bathroom. If we all did bottom-up processing data analysis and were interested in the truth... Yeah finding scientifically, even if it takes 20 years and I have to interview 18,000 people, let us scientifically find out the answers. Isn't the whole society better? It's not like I just want this will make the world better for autistic people, yeah. which it will. I think it makes the world better for everyone. Honestly, I really believe that every holistic person would be better off if they you know, chose to live autistically. If they listen to the data, if they, if they, took time to understand the world around them, the world is infinitely complex. There are no easy answers, but that means that there's infinite beauty in the complexity. And I think that everyone would be better off if we just, you know, understood the world a little bit better and understood each other a little bit better. Yeah. I, I can't I will tell that. you, for me, I have, well... I'm not perfect at this, but in my heart, I have stopped engaging in these culture war debates yeah. because I realize all I can do is add facts that no one cares what they are. So I am here talking to people listening to the Autistic Culture Podcast because if you are already oriented in this way and you're wondering what can we do, the answer to what we can do is spread autistic culture. Yeah. Spread the celebration of it. Put up statues. Rewrite the lyrics to songs that pathologize autistic people. Question when people call someone, uh, you know, communist that you know they're just autistic like celebrating this culture is the best way that I can think of that we can add meaningfully without directly trying to provide 18,000 interviews because that's not going to do it I don't know why that's not going to do it but clearly that's not the answer what fascinates me most about all this is last year I went to an autism symposium from an unnamed source. Uh, well, I, I won't name it because it's horrible. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, it sounds terrible already. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and during this, a, a man proceeded to say that we have a tendency for echolalia, repeating words, sounds, phrases, and accents. And he said that echolalia is not reflective of genuine thought so that uh, people who are echolalic are not thinking but he didn't take into consideration that a lot of holistics 
if not all, use aphorisms and uh, uh, metaphors. You made your bed. Yes, now you got to lie. Com- conversations with my family. Well, yeah. you got to do what you got to do. Exactly. I mean, it is what it is. Exactly. Because. You take what you get and then, you know, sometimes you throw a fit. Like it's, yeah. I'm like, have you said anything? Are we just, is there no talking? That's the thing. Just- That's the thing that gets me because we are accused of not having thought because of the echolalia, despite the fact that the echolalia is used by holistic people to suppress thought. Mm. And, and you know what? I just think. We can't engage these people. There's nothing no. to engage on. You can't. I will sometimes join a Facebook group that has a shared interest like autism. And then people are like, which ABA therapist do you recommend? Oh, I'm like, I just leave. Yeah. I don't. I don't play anymore. I'm I, not playing. I, I tried, but again, this is why I'm a hermit. I, I was kicked out of the Louisville Therapy Networking Group because I was telling people factually that ABA does not work. I provided citation. I provided evidence. And then I was, told, I was told that I was an asshole because I can't condemn another person's work. And I'm like, What well, if the U.S. Department of Defense says it? That's how about thing. that? That's, I linked to the stuff about how TRICARE isn't paying for it anymore because there is no measurable long-term effects and provide the data. But again, I'm an asshole for no, providing the you're data. You're the asshole. Yes. You're the asshole. <laughs> and here's the thing is like, when we keep arguing, like in this case, Kinsey did, and I'll leave it here. It's like, when we keep arguing, we make ourselves fucking sick. Yeah. Yeah. We burn out. This, this is why autistic people burn out. This is why autistic people have significantly worse health outcomes because these are the battles that we fight on a daily basis and holistic people just don't. Yeah. Holistic people say, oh yeah, well, I'm not trans, so I don't care about the transes. Off to Applebee's and... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And again, we say, but Trans people are human and they deserve rights. I'm not trans, but I don't support bullying trans people. I want children. Yes. How about the children? Trans children exist and deserve to live happy and healthy lives. And somehow that's controversial. The By the way, have you heard Neil deGrasse Tyson on this? He's so cute. Oh my God. He's my hero. He's like, you don't need to know anything about science. People come to him, so they're like, are there more two sexes inside? And then they're not going to listen to him. He's like, but you don't need to know anything about science. If a nine-year-old tells you that they are a boy, that's all you need to know. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's the end of the conversation. You don't need any more information. They're just, that is what they are experiencing. People have different experiences. Yeah. Well, so that's, that's the thing. Leave if, them alone. If somebody comes up to you and says, hi, my name is Steve. And I say, well, you look more like a Billy. I'm going to call you Billy. That's stupid. Don't do that. If And maybe they have a birth certificate that says Billy. And you know what? You yeah. don't need to know. Just no. call him Steve. Yeah. It'll be fine. I, I do not control other people and neither does anyone else. Oh, my God. Anyway, it listen. It's horrifying. Kinsey's been saying it for a long time, folks. That is our autistic culture story of this week. I'm super happy to share it with you. Everything in life is a spectrum. Oh, yes. And and so, and of course, autistic people would find that. So I hope you learned something from today. If you did, drop it in the comments below. And before we leave people, Matt, 
Let us share with them something you love about oh. being autistic from this week. Oh boy. So uh, uh, you, you listeners are listening to this in the future, but I am in the past. And in the past, uh, The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom was just released. Oh. Mm. And I have uh, been nonstop uh, journeying through Hyrule for the past several days, deep in a monotropic focus where my meat body is very upset of the lack of sleep, lack of eating, lack of drinking, and lack of going to the bathroom because I will spend hours and hours and hours glued to the game, uh, journeying through Hyrule with making occasional thumb twitches while the rest of me stays completely silent as the day and night just passes. I won't be doing it this weekend because my son will be with me and of course he needs my full attention while he's here. But uh, Okay, wait, I want to stop on that. Just we'll leave people with this like lesson because I think there's your therapist. I am. This feels like very, this feels like work through. When we're into our special interest and we have an obligation, there can be some inner conflict. Like I oh, should yes. be with my child, but I want to play Zelda. So I wonder if you can share some of the tools here um, that you use to, like you have some rules, I think, some structure to make it easy to, not maybe easy, but how, how are you not playing Zelda when you want to? Oh, well, uh, uh, last week I took two days off uh, and deliberately didn't schedule people so that I would have time to play. But uh, yeah, with, that's with, great. And, and well, that's the thing. My, my son is my ultimate special interest because I, I care about his well-being. Uh, I want to learn everything there is. He's my little Pokemon. I want to train him to be happy and healthy. So uh, when he is here, he wa- uh, he has already said that he wants to go in. So there's this gigantic bookstore in Lexington. And when you come down, we can go there. Ooh, it's called I Joseph, just got excited. <laughs> it's called Joseph Beth at Lexington Green. It is one of my all-time favorite places. And it has lots of books. Stephen King has been there to sign books. It's also got this enormous fountain with ducks and geese and swans. And he loves to go there and study the fountains and study the ducks. And when we got back from last time, he he we needed to draw. He counted all the ducks and all the geese and all the swans and all the baby ducks and all the baby geese and all the baby swans. And we had to draw pictures of the 14 baby ducks because there were 14 baby ducks and there were 10 baby geese and there was a swan nest that was had eggs in it. We had to draw the eggs in the nest, even though he couldn't see the eggs in the nest. And we had to replicate all of the data findings. So he is a little scientist and he needs to go study the environment at the fountain at Joseph Beth. So this is the plan. And then we will replicate the findings through drawings well uh we will do that we will play with thomas the train we will build new train layouts what i love here is that number one you knew you would want to play zelda so you actually scheduled it in a way that would work special interest number two yes and like listen up because that is that is like our version of self-care that yes. is our like if you don't do that you're gonna be cranky with your kid of course because you're gonna be thinking i want to go do that other thing so number one he scheduled it number two he has this like bigger commitment ahead of time not in the moment if in the moment you're like should i take my kid to the ducks in the bookstore or should i play zelda in the moment your brain's gonna be like you for sure should play zelda i should yeah but because because it's awesome out- but outside of the moment, it's like when my kid is here, the rule is my focus is on my kid. Yeah. 
And I know if I'm digging into my special interest or like we wouldn't schedule recording a podcast when your kid is there, like I am not going to do things other than be with my kid. Mm -hmm. So this is what I think is like amazing boundaries and self-care for autistic people. And part of what leads to meltdowns or like spectrum-y needs like, you know, mutism or having even stronger sensory reactions. Like all of those things happen when we are pulled in, I mean, many reasons, but when we're pulled from our monotropic focus. And so understanding what that's going to feel like when you're outside of your monotropic focus and preparing for that in advance, having a plan, I bet, even though you might think about Zelda this weekend, I bet you're not going to be pulled by that in the same way because of the work you've done around it. Exactly. Well, that's the thing. A good structure is necessary to a healthy autistic life. And, and uh, I've got a foam LARPing sword. I've got, of course, uh, if people on YouTube behind me can see my Master Shield and my Hylian sword, or my Hylian shield and my Master Sword, rather. Uh, but I've also got a foam LARPing a Master Sword that my son likes to play with. So I'm introducing him to The Legend of Zelda, and he sees the shield. He can play with his sword. Uh, he can, you know, swing it around and pretend to be and I can tell him of The Legend of Zelda and I can share my ways with him without being consumed by my monotropic uh, focus because I will play when he is not here. When he is here, he gets my monotropic focus. And this this is the way. We, we must yeah. have our structure. We must plan ahead. We must find ways to take care of ourselves and take care of our loved ones because uh, we, and we need And rather than doing therapy to help you become like trained like a dog to act more neurotypical, to me, this is the value of doing therapy to live a more authentic autistic life is to be able to say, okay, how do I schedule time for my... Yeah special interest? How do I schedule time for my family? How do I create structures that feel healthy? It doesn't mean every day is going to become perfect, but it's a completely different approach to therapy than what neurotypicals tell us, which is like, how can you act more neurotypical? Neurotypical therapists say, act less autistic. And if you act less autistic, then you'll be less autistic. We have to lean into it and be as autistic as we possibly can. Just do it in a safe and uh, stable way. Plan your special interests, dedicate days to your special interests if you can, but also take the time to eat and drink and go to the bathroom because we forget to do that. And uh, I may. Or my approach have your husband bring you food and drink and walk you to the bathroom. Oh, that is some autistic co regulation. I like that because that that is an autistic relationship right there. Co regulation Mm, is huge for us. It's something that we need. We need that outside person to help us through autistic burnout, to help us through autistic inertia, to help us remember to take care of our meat bodies. That's why having a relationship with another uh, aware autistic person is very, very cool. It is very cool. All right, you guys. Well, that's another episode of the Autistic Culture Podcast. Drop us a comment and please like or share this episode. It makes a huge difference. I know it takes a little bit of effort to leave a review, but when you do, it helps others find the show and hopefully make the world a safer place, not just for autistic people, but really for everyone because science actually matters. Bye, everyone. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Autistic Culture Podcast. 
If you like this show, you can help other people find it by taking a few minutes to rate and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can find out more about writing your book with me at differencepress.com. That's difference, D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-C-E, press, P-R-E-S-S.com. Or getting a psychological evaluation or consult with me at www.mattlowrylpp.com. That's M-A-T-T, Matt Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y, L-P-P, as in Licensed Psychological Practitioner.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, no one ever changed the world by being like everyone else. Thank mm-hmm. you.